You're listening to a Radio Stockdale podcast. Podcasts that are inspiring, interactive, and feature various discussions of leadership, ethics, and law. Welcome to Philosophy at the Movies, a podcast where we discuss themes in the history of philosophy through the medium of films. I'm Alex Baker, and joining me as always... Sean Baker. And today's topic is the 2013 film, Locke. So this film, which takes place almost entirely in a car, follows a man named Ivan Locke. And he is a... Foreman, I believe, for a construction company. Yeah, and it's he's it takes place on the eve of this massive concrete pour for this new building he's overseeing, and we learn that this is the biggest. It's for this big building. It's the biggest concrete pour in the history of Europe, and he works for this big company where whose main headquarters is back in Chicago. So there's a lot of expectations coming into this. But we see him, and then he's at a light, and the light turns green, and the car's honking because he's not moving. It looks like he's going to go left, but at the last second, he decides to go right. And that's the ne- throughout the rest of the film, he makes a series of phone calls from his car. Which explain why he took Why that. he did that. Yeah. And we see early on that he seems like a very successful businessman. He's highly respected. He has a loving wife that they've been together for at least a decade. They have a couple of kids. Mm-hmm. But we realize that he's going to a hospital about an hour and a half drive. And a woman is giving birth to his child that is not his wife. And it's revealed that about seven months ago... He had a one-night stand with this one woman that he did a sort of business conference or meeting with. And as a result of that, she got pregnant, and she's giving birth to his child. And he's going to be there for the birth of that child and decide to take on the child, even though that's out of wedlock. And But throughout these calls, he has to make them to his wife. He confesses the truth. Mm-hmm. And then he ha- because he refu- he can't be there, he's going to be there for the birth of his child, he won't be there for the concrete pour, which means that it upsets everybody, which probably means that he's going to lose his job. Yeah. Despite his stellar, you know, it's always mentioned that he has a stellar record. He's never screwed up even once. But even with that, he is talking to one of his um, subordinates, his name... Donald. Donald. He is now throwing this massive responsibility all on Donald's shoulders. Yes. And so the, throughout the phone call, he's talking to him and talking him through what he has to do to make sure the poor goes through. Okay, he gets fired, but Locke still wants to make sure that this won't screw up because of him. So all the yep. technical procedures, shutting down roads to make sure the trucks come in, which all the technical stuff, like which type particular type of concrete he has to get he makes calls tells them he has to talk to different like uh councilmen to like make sure they get the permits for the roads everything he has to do during this car ride 
also talking to his wife, who's obviously upset. She's ready to get a divorce. She doesn't even want him in the house. And all the while, uh, he's uh, on the phone also with his son, and they had planned on watching a uh, football match, a big football match. Soccer. Soccer. Yeah, football. Uh, should we put it uh, European football? Put it yeah, that yeah. way. The the the, and, the 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 less entertaining. Kind yeah, of the football. The, the, Sorry, the, the games that were the inevitable final score is one nil. Yes, um, but uh, yeah, and he's hiding the truth from him uh, uh, throughout this. The son Sean is becoming suspicious because the mother is. His mother is staying upstairs and, and she, not he hears her crying. He hears her crying and so forth. So. Yeah, he's juggling a lot on this uh, on this uh, uh, drive. Certainly yes. is. And the, the woman who's giving birth to his child, Bethan, he's calling her because there's worries because she's in her forties, so they're they're going to have to give her a C-section to give the birth. But there's also worries that the there's um, a complication. Yeah, the yeah. umbilical cord is wrapped around the baby's neck, so. They're very worried about that, so he has to talk to doctors, and she's getting very nervous, and so that's all. All this happens. There's all these complications, and but eventually, at the end, even there is a bunch of hoops he has to jump through. Like he has to talk to this councilman at a Chinese restaurant because yeah. he has to get this permit at the last minute to get the trucks through for the poor. Right. He is able to get that, and because he had the full, he was going to give. Um, Donald, he's talk, talking to Donald uh, that he's he has this folder for him, but oh, he left it in his car. Oh, he never, yeah. So he has to talk yeah. to, like, you're going to need to do this. And then he has to um, <laughs> get the, uh, get like two construction pals who are working on another job to come in and help with the poor. Yeah, there's, there's <laughs> some, I'm not exactly sure what it is, but some preparation of the bed for the poor. Uh, hasn't been done properly. And he says, I know these two guys, they're Polish. Yeah. Go find them at this other site and tell them, tell them who I am. Yeah, there's I'm 600 in pounds favor. to it for them. Right, 500, but they, they know they what's going on. They up, they up it to six, yeah. And then he, and then he, has, to, and, uh, he has to run over there because he said he had yeah. a couple of drinks and yes. he doesn't want to drive. So <laughs> all this, eventually... As bad of a situation as he created, it probably was, this was probably at the end the best case scenario. The baby was able to be born, but the very last thing we hear is she's had a successful birth. You can hear the baby, yeah. and he's just minutes away from the hospital. Yeah. Um, the poor has gone over successfully. No complications. It looks like it's going to be okay. Yeah. Um, his wife wants and still wants nothing to do with him, so it looks like that, maybe that'll change over on, but... Yeah. And that's the end. He's heading towards the hospital. I mean, it's a it's a very unique movie because, as we said, it's not it's only Tom Hardy is in the I mean, Tom it, Hardy in a car for an hour and a half and several voices and just voices. Who, by the way, his son is a uh, voiced by Tom Holland, who's now Spider Man. Oh, uh, gotcha. and Tom Hardy is Venom. So yeah. there's a little comic book <laughs> connection there. Yeah. Got to th- got to got to throw that in. But yeah. yeah, this is a very good movie. I quite that, that I kind of. Flip, flippant a reaction I had to this film watching it. I have to say, as long as we're kind of being lighthearted here at the beginning, because this is a—it's not a lighthearted story, not at all. I'm amazed at uh, Ivan Locke's ability to avoid distracted driving. 
I mean, if, if, if this was anybody else, any normal person, I think they would have careened off the road or they, they would just one pulled point over. or another yeah. or pulled over or something, um, especially at that point where he discovers that he's got that vital notebook full of contacts and information and so forth on his person, and he's got to try and convey that verbally. You can see he just about loses it there. And he's still driving, though. He never stops driving. So you got to give him credit for that. If never goes for, over the speed limit yeah, either. If not for... And you kind of... The question I always ask is, is Locke a good guy just making the best out of a bad situation? Or maybe it's just because of this, this is something he should have avoided. Yeah. I think he did make a terrible mistake, but you watch this. He knows that... He probably knew going in, and I, once I confess to my wife, or I'm probably going to get divorced. Yes, all bets I, are off. Yeah, once I miss this concrete pour, I'm probably going to lose my job. Yeah. But at the end, he still knows because it's still wrong yeah. to abandon that child and abandon that woman. Yeah. He realizes that this is something I did. I have to own up to this. And he's yeah. owning up to it even knowing that it's going to have severe yeah. consequences. So, you know, uh, certainly a flawed human being, and uh, certainly it's arguable whether he's a good person or not because he had made that initial choice to have that affair. But uh, you can't argue the fact that, yes, he decided at this point in, his, in the story here uh, that the correct thing to do is to own up and to also show up for that uh, 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 kid's birth because uh, as we learn <clears throat> conversations um, uh, with Bethan and with his conversations with his uh, father, that he's kind of having this imaginary conversation with the father in the back seat periodically, that um, um, the reason that event apparently occurred is because he felt sorry for her. She was a lonely person, and they happened to be on this job together. And uh, it's not an excuse, but it's an explanation that that's why they kind of fell together and uh, ended up conceiving this kid. And he makes it a point to tell his imaginary father, you know, I'm not going to do what you did. You abandoned uh, me. And he doesn't quite tell us the circumstance. But uh, he, he says, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to at least break that circle of uh, not behaving properly with regard to uh, uh, family, be it biological or otherwise. And so you, you have to give him credit for doing that. He he goes in fully realizing the consequences and fully realizing the the two major. Uh, obligations he has here that he's got to contend with and there's really no way for him to satisfactorily uh, simply choose to ignore one over the other without having bad consequences. He could choose to ignore uh, uh, Bethan's uh, um, uh, situation but that would be abandoning the child and treating her shabbily which in effect he's already done but he doesn't need to compound that. Uh, and that, in, in that kind of a situ in that situation, uh, the concrete power would probably go just fine. On the other hand, he can't just simply, uh, uh, put, put to the side the, the concrete pour and only focus on Bethan because as we see hints of in the, in the story to do that, 
uh, and leave the bull with considerably less expertise and experience would lead to possibly catastrophic consequences uh, if people made compromises on the uh, re-rod or the type of concrete that they're going to use. There's a very interesting part of that from an engineering ethics perspective, the conversations that he has with Donald. When uh, Donald says, I'm not asking a question. He is asking a question. Mm-hmm. I'm not asking a question. I, I realize that the, you know, the, 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 the plan is to pour nothing but C6 concrete which is apparently the highest grade concrete for extremely heavy structures. Uh, And it's something that will not crack under the stress and potentially slide, which would lead to a catastrophic uh, uh, building killing potentially hundreds of people, right? Yep. Uh, But uh, does that mean, he asks, you know, does that mean that uh, uh, just a little small proportion of C5, uh, can we do that? And, And... I think um, Locke quite rightly says, "Why are you even asking me that question? You know, this this is this is something we cannot compromise." Yeah, he, on. he even says, "Like, what what do you see around the office? Yeah. You see C six, C six. It's always going it's always to be going C6. to be C six. So, you know, he's trying his best to uh, uh, fulfill that obligation while he's driving, and obviously, it it is." Full of the kinds of challenges that go into major construction projects, but um, you can blame him for abandoning that to some extent, but you can't blame him for not abandoning it. Yeah, to, to and some we extent. should note that yeah. this birth was premature. She's only yes. seven months in instead of nine, so that's why it became so sudden. He yes. was going to wait until another two months, probably, to break everything in a more convenient time, but this. She yeah. got, he got the call that her water broke, so it is a premature birth. Yes, and so he, he can't uh, leave that to chance. Her life might be at risk, and the infants as well. Uh, so, yeah, he's in a terrible, terrible situation and trying his best to uh, deal with those obligations and at the same time dealing with the obligation to his wife to be honest about the past. And he knows in doing so that she's going to be greatly hurt and uh the actress that does the role of the wife i think she does an outstanding job just in a in a a vocal role uh conveying that sense of hurt and abandonment betrayal really good job really good job and i also uh, think that the the actor Spider Man who does the son Tom Holland um, yeah. he does a, a very good job of conveying the kind of uh, as it were looming catastrophe that is going to take place in this family uh, because you do you do clearly see that uh, I think that um, Katrina is is not going to take him back this mm-hmm. is this is a done deal and very hurt and she's mature enough to realize that the kids interests have to be considered and she even says you know you you you, i won't cut you off with from the kids but you're done here you're done here uh boy you just see that looming large but you also see when he decides to make that phone call and be honest with her he knows this is coming he knows this is coming you were talking about that talk he's having with the c5 and the c6 interesting he talks about the building he says 
you know, if we do this, even if just one little crack in this foundation, it's going to keep growing and growing and growing. Yeah. And you watch that, you have to think that that is the metaphor for what is going on in this story. It is yeah. one crack. This, you know, he says, this is the only time I've ever done this. But she says there's a, like she says, there's a difference between never and one. It's a huge difference. Yes. Yeah. She says that repeatedly. Yes. And that is clearly, I think, uh, uh, meant as a, as a metaphor. He's, he's destroying the foundation of his family's life. But he feels like he has no choice. And it, you do say, because this is seven months after the event of the conception of the child, so he didn't tell her immediately. She even says, he's like, I remember that day you came back, you had a big smile on your yeah, face. Yeah, yeah. He keeps saying, oh, no, that was because of the business deal I just made. Yes. But So he lied to her for seven months. He did, yep. you think, if he... Broke down and cried and admitted to what he did immediately. Would it have gone over smoothly? And then instead of saying, "Oh, by the way, I'm throwing this all on you. I'm having another a babe, a child with another woman." Oh yeah, I, I, I think I think his chance has been better. Then um, the hurt would have been equal on the wife's part, but she would have, uh, I think, taken account of the fact that he immediately owned up. Right? I mean, mm-hmm. we can all think of. Uh, instances in our own lives where you where either you or somebody you know held on to essentially a lie for a long time and then the other person discovers it well inevitably the first thing they say is you just compounded it by uh, deceiving me for that period of time right mm-hmm. so now whether or not she would have uh um eventually forgiven him and kind of welcomed him back into the fold in that circumstance. I still don't, I don't think know. so, but in, in some, some sense of probable, it's a little bit more probable, I think. Uh, but maybe she would have simply uh, been more prone to forgive him without welcoming him back too. Um, yeah. That seven month uh, stretch is a long time. We don't we don't know exactly how long a period of time uh, he he knew, he knows uh, Bethan is pregnant. Um, you know she did call him once the emergency started, but you do have to wonder did he know beforehand, right? And in any case, he does know that he had the uh, the one night stand with her for seven months, whether or not she was pregnant or not, and that's what really strikes Katrina hard. Yeah, and then you see his um treatment of Bethan, it's also not very particularly nice. I mean, he does call her and make sure she's okay, but that is, I think, more and less of the interest towards her and more particularly just towards the his child that he's going to have, because even when he finally admits to his wife, he can see he insults Bethan. She says, oh, she's quite old. She's not exactly an oil painting. He says she's not very... In, comes off as pretty insulting. Yeah. And especially when even when he talks to her, she's you know, she's trying to get any affection he has. He says, I don't hate you, I don't love you, I don't even know you. Right. You know, which of course begs the question, well, why did you have the one night stand in the first place? Um convey with that uh he's trying and failing to convey with that that uh you know that it it was a, a kind of a mistaken one night stand purely uh of a uh not quite just purely sexual nature, because he does try to convey the fact that uh, he's in some way consoling her because she's a lonely and kind of pathetic person. And they had a few drinks in them, too. Yeah, and they had a few drinks. So he's, again, trying to 
excuse the behavior in that way. Uh, but, you know, I think couched in that, I, I think you do have to, even if he didn't quite approach it correctly with uh, Bethan, I, I think he did the right thing and not uh, saying that he loved her when he, in fact, mm-hmm. he didn't. And, you know, she, she, she says she loves him and so forth. But um, I think he's clearly right that they just don't know each other well enough to have fallen in love. It was mm-hmm. literally just a one business trip, a couple of days, and that one night at the bar, I guess, and that's it. So he doesn't go along with that, uh, but he still feels the necessity to show up. Because he does feel, as he puts it, I caused the baby, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he feels responsible for that, even though he doesn't feel any kind of deep personal connection with her simply because they didn't have the time to form it. Um, and you're right, too. I, I think he, he feels responsibility for the kid. And we get the impression here that no matter what happens, he's going to make sure that uh, he supports the child financially or otherwise. You do get that impression. And we've been talking all about about this child that's going to be born. We are all kind of not wonder what the fate is of his two children with Kat, Katarina. Yeah. Because we can see the one he's talking to, he knows something's going up. And you feel bad for that kid because he, 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 he's not and doesn't know, but he knows something's up. Yes. But there's another kid he has, and it's Eddie, the younger child. The younger child, We yes. don't hear on the phone, but... They're going to, I mean, what's going to happen is they're going to be going in between two houses and their parents are going to get divorced. Yeah. And usually they're probably not even going to ever know the true cause because the parents are going to hide that truth from them. I don't think they're going to do that. I think he, 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 remember, he says a couple of times when he's talking to Sean, look, I'm going to come, I'm, I'll be back home tomorrow and I will tell you what is going on with you, oh, your okay. mother and I. Uh, so I think at least he's going to tell Sean, the older son, and maybe maybe they'll uh, hold off on telling the younger son. I don't know. It's, it's not at very least clear. until he's older. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, I think he's he's committed to coming clean, uh, obviously with Katrina having made the phone call, but also with Sean as well. Um, I think what's very interesting about this film is uh, it it's a it's an illustration of something, uh, a point, a very basic point about dealing with reality that uh, Stoic philosophers make. Um, there is a certain uh, care you have to take with the actions uh, you take in day-to-day life because you have to be aware of your own uh, responsibility for uh, the moral status of the things you do, but you also have to do so in a way that as best you can do takes account of the fact that um, we are extremely uh, limited in our ability to project future consequences of our acts. And what often happens is in a in particular moments because we're focused in on those moments and uh, 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 as it were putting on blinders that are focusing us only in on those moments we lose sight of the ramifying uh, consequences of single acts now clearly what happened with him and bethan on that business trip uh, combination of alcohol uh, 
and a combination of, I think, a little bit of pity and feeling sorry for Bethan uh, led him into making a terrible choice. He had those blinders on. And as time progressed after this choice was made, I think he gained a level of um, uh, objectivity and was able to do the kinds of projections of the possible consequences of the act. And in the end, he felt like, despite the negative consequences that will occur in my family uh, life, I'm going to have to uh, tell Katrina what really happened because I caused that child and I can't simply abandon it, right? Now, the thing he probably never thought of and should have thought of is the possible effects on his job. Because of the nature of his job, people's lives are on the line. And no matter what else you can say about him in this uh, uh, situation, there's kind of a Janus face, two faced thing you can say. One, he's massively irresponsible for leaving the job and trying to run that job over the phone. He knows that's wrong. <laughs> Donald certainly does. And boy, does his boss Gareth think so. He lets him have it with both barrels. And then Chicago has let Gareth have it with both barrels. And all of them are justifiable in being uh, angry with him. And it's also completely justifiable that he's been fired. He recognizes all that. And that's why he insists with Donald on running the job anyway. He feels like he's got that obligation. He's got to do that. Too many lives are on the line. Right? So that's a kind of interestingly interesting Janice faced. Uh, uh, he's in a bad position no matter what he does. But um, uh, an illustration, I think, of one possible consequence of that one event seven months ago that didn't it did not occur to him. Right. So it's a it's a it's a it's a reminder to us all of. Uh, the level of our own ignorance. And we have to be very careful of our own ignorance when it comes to our actions. You talked about his job. And at the end, it's we don't see it, the complete results of it because we won't know until apparently the next day. Yeah. But yeah. assuming it looks like everything's going okay and the two Polish guys that they hired are eventually going to get the whole thing done. If it gets done, I wonder, considering what his future would be, would they say that since he had such a stellar record before, he screwed up his once, but he also, even after, upon being fired, made sure the job went well, which it did, would that be enough for him to get his job back? Or even if he doesn't get that job back, considering supposedly his stellar record, that he would be able to find a job with another construction, as a foreman in another construction company. And if now, obviously, his wife is angry and very frustrated at him, but as time goes on, in the old phrase, time heals wounds, would she forgive him to a certain extent of a reconciliation or just 
maybe they re- they remain on good terms and friendly, but that trust of being husband and wife will never go back. Yeah, I, I think that that's probably the latter. Uh, I, I think she, eventually she probably will forgive him, recognizing that he's doing the right thing and looking after that kid. I think so. But I don't think she's going to welcome him back into the fold of the family, and he's going to have to move out. I think that's going to be the case. Now, with regard to his professional life, it's pretty hard, I, I would think, for any potential em, uh, employer, people that are actually doing these kinds of projects where it is critical that you do it correctly or your parking structure will collapse or whatever, it's going to be very hard for them to look at this guy with this particular project and not feel that his abandonment of that project, or should I say partial abandonment of that project, and attempting to run it by telephone, I don't think they're going to be able to overlook it. It apparently is, as you said earlier, the largest and most important concrete core uh, pour in Europe, other than, I think they mentioned it's nuclear not, yeah, reactors. that's not related to a military base or, or a, a nuclear, nuclear facility. Yeah. And his choice to attempt to run that thing from a distance while driving and not becoming distracted and running off the road. Uh, If I was a potential employer, I don't think I could overlook that. So uh, what might his uh, uh, future hold? Well, certainly he, he, he could offer himself up as a classic case study in business ethics and personal ethics. I guess he could do that, but uh, it may be the case that uh, he he could he could still play a vital role in in the profession of engineering, but not in that direct frontline way. I I just don't think there would be that trust for many other companies. So he may end up I don't know on faculty at an engineering school teaching um, uh, uh, either uh, engineering itself or like I said perhaps engineering ethics. Um, that that would be my take mm-hmm. on him. All right, so getting close to the end of my questions here, before we start wrapping up, anything else you want to bring up? I do want to talk about the uh, technical aspects of this film because it's, it takes place entirely in a car. They uh, shot it over like a period of six nights, and there was a car just trailing behind them. They had it set up in the cameras, set up in the car, and the conversations they have are real times. All the voice actors and actresses got together in a little conference room, and they would have their lines in front of them, and they would do the whole back and forth with Tom Hardy. It's really just impressive how they're able to pull something like this off. Yeah, and I can tell you uh, the thing that occurred to me uh, watching it, too, is in an odd kind of a way, this thing is like a radio drama. Um, in radio dramas, literally all you have is voices. And we're not quite there. I mean, we, we do see the, the footage of the drive, but... Uh, they can, they manage to convey uh, the intensity of the emotions, the intensity intensity of the moral dilemma, um, and the his intense the intensity of his guilt, anger with himself, and uh, anger with himself in in uh, uh, even remotely entertaining uh, the, an excuse for his behavior. Well, it's kind of the way uh, my father lived and, and, you know, it it had this kind of impact on me that it kind of forced me to make the same mistakes. Uh, He doesn't want to go down that route. 
He wants to take responsibility, and he does a great uh, job of conveying that simply in his voice. And uh, yeah, it, it, it struck me as almost like a radio drama. Uh, same thing, technically uh, very clever. And boy, they pack a lot in an hour and a half. They really do with this thing. You are exhausted by the end of this film. Yeah, it's, it, the whole arc is even says, at, at the start of this drive, I had a job, a wife, and two kids, and a house. At the end of the drive, I've lost all of that. All I have is what's in this car. Yeah, and and you might say uh, uh, at least a partial restoration of his his moral integrity. His, he and he 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 realized I've I've got to make this right, right. And but at the same time, there's that, there's that tension. There's that tension with the fact that uh, he's really compromised the job, and there's there's a lot riding on that building being built appropriately and lives are on the line you know and uh, i think that's that's conveyed very well uh at the same time that the the hurt and betrayal on the wife's part is conveyed very well and apparently uh, this is another thing i like about the film is uh, there has been a tension at home between his career and and the family and it may be that she doesn't quite recognize how important uh being perfect in engineering is because lives are on the line. We don't normally think of that, but it's true. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Philosophy at the Movies. You can find this podcast and more podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center by visiting the Radio Stockdale page at usna.edu. This program is hosted by Radio Stockdale, though you can also listen to their podcasts such as Ethics and the Naval Warrior and The Do-Over. If you like this podcast, you might be interested in my other podcast, Real Sounds, each episode, I dedicate to classic movie soundtracks. That can be found online at thesadacinema.podomatic.com. So until next time, I'm Alex Baker. And I'm Sean Baker. Saying, you are solid. Solid.